Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Glad to see so many bright and shiny faces here today. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Welcome to those of you who are joining us online. We are back live on Sunday morning. Very excited about that. You will see in the chat our wonderful and dear friend, Lisa Wallach, posting things and, um, and sharing some stuff with you. And if you have prayer requests, anything like that, you can uh, ask for prayer there. And Lisa is going to pray with you. Yes, huge shout out to Lisa. She does do a lot of behind the scenes stuff and we're very grateful for that. All right, we are going to start off this morning with a declaration. We're going to pray first for multiple reasons. Jesus, bless this time this morning. Let's find deeper connection with you. Let us be hit with holiness. Sass you would bless each and every one of us. Bless this time. Bless all of our tech to work as it should. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Why don't you go ahead and stand up with me? If for whatever reason we can't get this up, we will, uh, we can. All right, we're going to be doing declaration number nine. And it says, we're holding, holding fast. Are we ready? Okay, that's number one. Number nine. There we go. Okay, here we go. Say this with me. I am the Lord's governmental ambassador. I am trusted to walk in the authority of the Spirit for the expansion of the kingdom. I carry the zeal of the Lord's house, and my currency is inheritance. We're going to try that one more time because I can't feel you in this, and I need to feel you. All right, here we go. I am the Lord's governmental ambassador. I am trusted to walk in the authority of the Spirit for the expansion of the kingdom. I carry the zeal of the Lord's house, and my currency is inheritance. Scripture to go along with that is Psalm 69.9. It says, for zeal for your house has consumed me, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. The zeal for your house has consumed me, Lord. Let that be carried over into everything we do today. Let me know that it's your will. It's you who I serve. In Jesus' name. All right, we are going to once again stay standing with me. We are going to once again do some corporate intercession. And with that this morning, I, I want to I want to make sure that we're, we're doing this in, in a manner that 
brings everyone together. We're going to pray in the spirit, which means pray in tongues. We're going to do that. In that, what we are doing is we are interceding on behalf of God's house. This is not praying over your own stuff time. That's on your own. This is corporate time. This is togetherness, which means we're not going to disappear into our own little space of eyes closed and hiding off somewhere. We need to be bold. We need to pray. We need to be able to look at one another and make declarations and do so out loud. This is a bold group here this morning, right? Yes, 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 yes. Pensively, she shook her head yes. Okay, remember that boldness hosts you. Okay, that's part of the word for 2023. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. We are going to intercede on behalf of God's house. Pray in tongues. If you have never prayed in tongues before or you have never spoken in tongues, say something. We'll pray over you. Okay. There's one. There's two. I saw that hand. All right. Father, we are holding fast to zeal for your house today. You are calling us a house of myrrh here. This is your house and we want to steward that well. Join me. Pray. What's on your heart? If you're online, put it in the chat. Pray out loud. This is a time of corporate prayer, togetherness. We all need to be praying. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come in now and give utterance to each of us. Put something on our hearts to pray. Whether it's one thing and we pray that over and over, let that be our declaration from you. Let it just flow out. Let us know that boldness hosts us. And we can just let that come out. We can let it come forth. Come on, pray. Let's let words out of your mouth. I need to hear you. Come on. Pray. Let's pray. Zeal for your house has consumed me. 
Let the zeal for God's house consume you this morning. Let that passion drive you to prayer. Let it drive you to gratefulness. Thank him for what he's done for you. Thank him for what he's provided for you. Thank him for what you have access to, which is everything. You have access to the entire kingdom. You have access to the whole house. Declare it out loud. We are going to stay here in this space until we start hearing some prayers. Got to hear some prayers. We've got to come together corporately. If, if we have to be here all day, we will be here all day. It's going to feel like a thousand years to some. <laughs> this has got to be something that becomes, I'm not going to say comfortable, but becomes part of what we do. We have to be able to open our mouths in prayer and let other people hear us. We have to let our passion for God be known and seen. If you can't do it in here with people who who think the same way you do about Jesus, then it's going to be that much more difficult to do it when you're around people that don't. You're going to add the prayers from the chat, John? Huh? Are you going to, going to I'm going read it. Yep. Okay, thank you. Holy Spirit, come and have your way. Clear out anything that is standing in the way of us communing with you and standing in the way of us moving forward with the plans you have for us individually and as a body. I come against any fear blocking the way for individuals to discover their prayer language. Lisa Wallach. Thank you, Lisa. Come on, let's pray something. Out loud. Out loud. Jesus, Jesus. Let's start with that. Let's just say the name of Jesus. 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 Be bilingual. Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> I have a mic. Jesus. Now, guys, there ain't a person in here who I haven't played some form of a game with and seen you get rowdy over a game. How much more rowdy can we get for, you know, the king? You're not embarrassed when you score a point or win a game to jump up and down and throw your arms up in the air.
Come on. Pray. What is he putting on your heart? Pray it. Pray it out loud. I'm not asking you to yell it. Just pray it out loud. Whatever it is that he's putting on your heart. Pray on behalf of this house. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to build. We thank you for the opportunity to build your house. We thank you for providing the materials. We thank you for providing the tools. We thank you for the direction on what to build. We thank you for the direction on how to build. Let us be those that are are willing to do it your way. We thank you for letting holiness fall in this place. We thank you for letting it it guide us and lead us. We thank you for that, for your holiness being what it is that just lets us see what is happening around us. We thank you that we could use your holiness to consider our ways. This is your time. We talk about all. You've heard it over and over again from us. This is your opportunity to bring something to the body of Christ is on Sunday mornings. Mm -hmm. This is not the time where you come and sit and receive. We've had an, an incorrect example of what this time is supposed to look like. I know our entire lives and portions of your lives. We want to change that now. We want to make this an opportunity where you have received revelation throughout the week and you can come here on Sunday mornings and share with us. So we can be sharpened by what it is that you're carrying, the revolution, revelation that you have been given, that we can then take back and make our own revelation. I was just thinking about, you know, how people pray about coming back to your first love. Come up here so you can be seen on camera. Okay. And I want, um, I just want to tell you what that's actually like. Um, When you come back, when you remember your first love. I I mean, I I have kids that love passionately. I have kids that will do whatever it takes to be with the person they love. Ottoman Hunter, Zane, Serenity. To go so far as to, now I'm not condoning this, but to disobey their parents or hide something because they love so fiercely they just have to be around that person. Okay? 
No, I'm not condoning that. And they always get caught, so I don't know why they try. But <laughs> we know things. <laughs> We're not dumb. But any, my whole point is that feeling that you had or have still have, God's feeling for you is always that way. He, his heart flutters. It swells with pride when he looks on you. He loves you fiercely. All right? And just the way you would sneak out to hang out with that person you love, or just the way you would stay just a little bit longer when your curfew is passed, just because you can't stand to be away from. Remember those feelings. That's the way your father loves you, and that's the way you should respond. All right? If you have to sneak away to go hang out with them, you shouldn't have to. You should be able to do that right in front of us. But my whole point is that feeling that you have where your heart you just can't be away from him anymore. You just can't stop thinking about him, stop talking to him, wanting to shut up and listen just because you can't wait to hear the next thing that comes out of his mouth. All right? That is love. That is what we're trying to get out of you for you to understand how much your love and how to express it back to him. God loves to be ministered to. Okay. That might sound weird because he's almighty God, you know, creator of everything. He loves to be ministered to. And it's not the American way of ministering to people. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about your full blown lay on the ground if you have to and show your love for him. Okay. The thing that you would do to be around somebody you love, the sacrifice you'd make. Okay. When Vince was gone overseas, I can't imagine what he was going through, the fights he had to go through. But he made it through that because he had to get back to his family. That's love when you put yourself through something just to get back to your family. And when Jesus, God sent Jesus to die, he put himself through that hell to get back to his family. Okay? Why, why can't we just give it back? All right? Don't be scared. Okay. If you are, you're you in the right your place. Up, lift, huh? If you are, you're in the right place. Yeah. I mean, be scared, but don't be scared to show your love back to him. Yeah. Is what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm looking at everybody here because I need you to know we are setting expectation here this morning. I need to see your eyeballs too. Thank you. This is expectation that we are going to pray together as a body. I was going to say family, but it's as a body. We are one in oneness together. And that's tighter than family. And we need, need each of you with what it is that you carry to show up here ready to share with us, ready to sharpen the rest of us. Because throughout the week, as you are uh, getting into that deep relationship with Jesus, you are going to receive something to share with the rest of us. You're going to receive stuff that's just for you as well. But this is a time to come together and corporately pray. 
That is the expectation that is held. And we've said this before too, you tend to experience what you expect. And so I expect to experience what it is that each of you are carrying into this place next week. Okay? Check your head, yes. Give me the north, south. Yes, thank you. Hey, thank you. Thank you. Yes, yes, yes. You too. You too, little rar. Rar. Okay. Do you do you want to read? All right. Um, I, I'm not going to say sit down. I'm not going to say stay standing. I'm going to let Angie decide that. Um, yeah. 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 We, we, we're doing something a little different because uh, our, our worship team is not all here this morning. So Angie's going to read, and this is really pay close attention to what it is she's reading because this is uh, going to be very significant for us. Before we do that, I want to explain. For those of you that are uncomfortable when Vince is telling you to start praying in the spirit, you need to understand that that's where your power is going to come from. It's not for everybody else in the room. It's for you. It's carving something out in you. Holy Spirit has been given to us as an engagement ring. Can we think of it like that? This whole thing, this whole thing that we're doing is about Jesus. And he's preparing a bride for marriage. Holy Spirit is the engagement ring. If we refuse to use the gifts, the dowry, that comes along with the engagement ring, then we're not fully laying hold of everything that the Father has given to us to prepare us for marriage to the Son. It's not as scary and spooky as you think. And for those of you that maybe have heard that it's not for today, you're wrong. I don't know what else to tell you. You're just wrong. If you're not using this gift, this prayer language, you are missing out. And here's the deal. So are the rest of us because you're coming in as a commoner who's not utilizing the gift that has been given you. And you aren't supposed to be a commoner. You're supposed to be engaged to Jesus. We have to lay hold of the things that he has set before us. And this is one of them that we would hold fast to the gifts he's given us. And speaking in tongues just happens to be one of them. And it is for today. I don't want you going out into the world doing anything if you're not utilizing this because you're not carving anything out in yourself. If you are not praying in tongues on a regular basis, you are not suitable for the world. What's so cool about tongues is like when you when you can't come up with the words that you're trying to express to the Father. Tongues are available. I was just up there. I don't speak in tongues. I can. I just don't do it very often. And I was doing it up there in the sound booth, and I got a new word. It cracked me up, and I can't even remember it right now. It just popped out of my mouth, and it made me laugh because I went from whatever I was saying to straight up like Spanish. <laughs> 
<laughs> it was hilarious. But, you know, there's times where I need to talk to God, but I don't have the words. When I don't have the words, you know, I can do it in my head or I can do it vocally. But that's what, I mean, you're, you're making a sweet sound to him. And he goes, I, I know what you need, buddy. I get it. Here it is. All right. And that's just one. I mean, there's so many aspects of speaking in tongues. That's just one thing. When you don't have the words and you can't just come up with something, tongues, call it tongue. We're capable of uttering mysteries that are way beyond us when we're laying hold of the gifts that he's given us. And let me just rephrase. I said you're not suitable for the world. You're not suitable to change the world. You are suitable for the world. You are the world. We're called to stand out, to be different. There's a devotion that's expected of us not to fit in, but to bring change, transformation to the world. It is the mandate on our life. And it's simple. Ask. And you will receive. It's simple. Some experiences and encounters with Holy Spirit are dramatic. Mine was. But I am. I'm dramatic. There's a lot of encounters that people have had with Holy Spirit, being baptized in the Spirit, that are extremely dramatic. Others aren't. Don't judge it based on goosebumps or not. Just ask. I wasn't even asking. I didn't know to ask. I didn't have people in my life that had gone before me that were willing to share. I just got hungry enough, and Holy Spirit led me to what it is that I needed. And it was dramatic. And nothing has been the same since. If you're tired of going round and round and round the same mountain, if you're tired of messing up over and over and over again, ask for Holy Spirit to baptize you in his fire. And everything will change. And here's the deal. It takes you partnering. It's not something that's just going to like come out of your mouth without any partnership with you. This is how I, I explained it to my kids when, when they were little. And, and I just remember this conversation with Dylan and Elise, especially maybe Sadie, that being baptized in the spirit and speaking in tongues is like an elevator where it starts down here, like the language starts down here and it just rises, it rises, it rises. And then you actually have to use your mouth to release it. A lot of people get hung up on this where they're like, nope, if it's Holy Spirit, then it's just going to happen. That's not how any of this happens. That would be like me getting married to John and being, if love is part of it, then it's just going to happen. You have to choose it. You have to choose partnership with Holy Spirit. It is a language that bubbles up inside of you, but you have to use, you have to partner your mouth with the language of the Spirit, and release it. Don't mock something that you don't know about. 
It is a powerful gift. I've been around plenty of people who are mingled in with a very religious crowd via sports, and I've heard all the things. I've heard all the things that basically, Angie, you're not allowed to exist today because those things passed away. When you become possessed by Holy Spirit, and you get into a crowd of religious people. You are not allowed to exist there. You're not allowed to function, not allowed to live and breathe and have your being because Holy Spirit is imprisoned. And here's the deal. If you like me at all, some of you are mad at me right now. I can feel your, I can feel your beams coming out of your eyes. It's fine. I don't care. If you like me at all, it's because of this gift that has carved me out. It is. I am not me without this. That's why I said I could do this all day long. I could. I could do this all day long. If I had no other responsibilities, you would find me here. I could do this all day long. I could talk about Holy Spirit all day long. I could pray in the Spirit all day long. Sometimes God's like, Angie, use your words. Because it's just a flow that happens. Oftentimes, the first things that come out of my mouth are this heavenly language. Every morning, it's the first thing. And I am not hyping myself up. I'm telling you what it's like to be possessed by Holy Spirit. And if we want to see anything change around us, get possessed. I had no idea. Vince said things are going to get a little wiggly this morning in our prayer time. I, I didn't even... I didn't even ask. Okay, let's wiggle. I had no idea he was going to do this. Some of you need to ask to be baptized in the Spirit because you're not capable of being devoted to Jesus Christ without it. You're not. It's impossible. Holy Spirit is for today, and so are all of the gifts that come with You can sit down. I want to read a portion of this book to you because we need to better understand what is required of us. We need to better understand what it means to honor a king. In this section, actually this book, How to Worship a King, if you can get your hands on it, you really should. How to Worship a King by Zach Neese. It is very, very good. It breaks worship down and um, really destroys the idea that we have of what worship has been for the majority of us. This section is called Bowing to the King. Psalm 95.6 offers an invitation. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Do you remember the scene from these the musical, The King and I, where the king insists that Anna never have her head higher than his. He keeps moving into lower and lower positions to see if she will respond according to her word. When he sits, she sits lower. When the king sits on the ground, she bows. When he reclines on his elbow, she prostrates herself. That's not a bad picture of worship. Only a traitor or a fool ever seeks to exalt himself above his king. A worshiper 
makes sure that his heart and position are always appropriately submitted to his Lord. He positions himself so that his head is lower than his king's. That brings us to a subject that some people will never embrace, bowing. The Hebrew word most often translated as worship is the word shaka. It simply means to bow. We most often see it paired with the words bowed down as in Genesis 24, 26. Then the man bowed down and worshiped the Lord. Literally, this means then the man bowed down and bowed down just so that there's no confusion over whether this is a figurative or literal bowing, the Bible says it twice to cover both bases. When people worshiped in the Old Testament, they really, really bowed down, bowing physically as well as humbling their hearts before the Lord. Worship is bowing because it is the demonstration of lordship in our lives. You may say, well, that is Old Testament, Zach. They were not under grace, which is why they thought they were required to grovel before the Lord, right? For an answer, let's look at the New Testament Greek word for worship. We have already explored it to some detail. It is the word proskuneo. If you remember, proskuneo means to prostrate yourself before God and to blow him kisses because you adore him. The New Testament does not let us off the hook at all. If anything, New Testament worshipers bow lower. Prostration is lying face first, flat on the ground, and humble themselves more than Old Testament worshipers. And there's an added dimension. While Old Testament worship seems to be mainly concerned with a submission of body and heart to the Lord, New Testament worship adds the ingredients of adoration and demonstration of love. If the Old Testament word for worship means to bow down in awe of God, the New Testament word means to bow even lower because you love him. Any way you look at it, there's no getting away from the obvious. Both the Hebrew and Greek words for worship mean to bow before God. Bowing is and always has been an essential ingredient to worship. But, you may say, People worship in many different postures in the Bible. Certainly that is true, but none of those postures are actually contained in the meaning of the word worship. There's no word for worship that means to sit, stand, clap, raise your hands, slouch, loaf, or pirouette. Why? Because at its most elemental level, worship is not standing, sitting, jumping, or kneeling. All of those postures communicate something about the posture of our hearts toward God. And they are all scriptural, but they are not worship in its purest form. Worship is encapsulated in bowing because worship is a total submission of your entire being to God. Why bow? Because citizens and subjects alike bow before the king. Bowing communicates honor and respect for the authority, majesty, and lordship of God. But aren't we children of God, you may ask? Do children bow before the king? Yes, they do. Even princes and princesses bow before their father king. The family relationship does not require less respect from us, but more. God is not only our king, but he is also our father, a triple authority in our lives and worthy of triple honor. I simply don't understand why Christians fight this concept so vehemently 
We absolutely refuse to bow. Why? Is God not our God and our King? What do you think is going to happen in heaven when you get there? You're going to bow. Please note, when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne. And worship him who lives forever and ever. Then they cast their crowns before the throne saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you have created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Did you catch that? The 24 most powerful beings in heaven have been given crowns, not for their heads, but for the beautification of God's feet. They've been given thrones, not to elevate themselves, but to give them a higher position from which to humble themselves and bow before the king. They do not consider it an insult, an embarrassment, or an inconvenience. They consider it an honor to bow before the king because he is worthy of more than what they bring. We are silly, proud little creatures. Americans especially have a serious problem with bowing. We don't bow to anyone. And the last king who tried to make us bow got his caboose kicked all the way back to England. It is not our culture to bow. It is not the culture of our churches to bow. It is not the culture of modern worship to bow. Let's face it, bowing cuts against the grace, the grain of our fallen natures. But at some point, we're going to have to quit expecting God to submit his kingdom culture to our fallen one. He just cannot do that. The reason we see so little power in our churches is because we stand on human doctrine, expecting God to submit himself to our cherished opinions. He won't. And if we want his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, we have to do the things they are doing in heaven. In heaven, they're bowing. In heaven, there's no argument over whether bowing is part of the culture. It is the culture. When we push away our fallen cult culture, national, family, denominational, and religious, and embrace God's kingdom culture, we will see heaven come to, to earth again. Look at what the apostle Paul wrote. God highly exalted him, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father, Philippians 2, 9 through 11. If we took this scripture literally, we would hit the floor every time the name of Jesus is uttered. Out of respect and reverence, we would bow. And when we did, sickness, poverty, bondages, addictions, and death would bow too. Instead, we use the name above all names as a curse word. It is time to submit our culture to his. But that's not the way we do it, Zach. Yes, I know. And the results speak for themselves. Why are there so many empty churches across the Western world? Why are there little white steeples scattered across the face of our nation like tombstones? Whitewashed sepulchers full of people, but devoid of the power and presence of God. Because we enthrone individual pride. And God has promised that he will resist the proud. He cannot, 
and will not be enthroned on the pride enthroned on the pride of man. This is the straw that almost broke the camel's back when Moses was leading Israel out of captivity in Egypt to the promised land. Because the Israelites were so proud, God nearly sent them off on their own without his presence. God told them, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. However, I will not go up in your midst, for you are a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you along the way. Exodus 33. Did you catch that? He's not going with them to the promised land because he might destroy them because they are stiff-necked. What does stiff-necked even mean? Put your hand on the back of your head. Now stiffen your neck muscles. Now try to push your head down and forward while keeping your neck muscles stiff. That's stiff-necked. Stiff-necked means refusing to bow, refusing to submit oneself to God's ways, commands, and character. Refusing to submit one's heart to him. Can you imagine? What is the point of going into the promised land without God's presence? How can any place be a promised land without God in it? This should stand as a warning to us. God is willing to fulfill his promises to us, even if it means not going with us into the promised land. What is God's promise to you? Healing. Do you want healing without God's presence in your life? No. Has he promised you, you your congregation growth, a new building maybe? Who cares if we have a sparkling new facility if it is devoid of God's presence? What good is a building full of people if God is not there to save, heal, deliver, transform, and empower? It is just an enormous rotary club. Without God, there's no promised land. Why are Christians so hesitant to humility and submission? Why are we so allergic to the Lordship of Christ? When Jesus got out of a boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and he fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? It is embarrassing that demons will bow at the feet of Jesus and Christians refuse to. If we would only worship as much as this demon-possessed man, it would change the world. If we would only fall at the feet of Jesus and ask, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Here's a challenge if you're willing to accept it. Spend 40 days starting your day like the, like the demoniac. For 40 days, roll out of bed. Get on your face before the Lord and ask, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I guarantee it will change your life. It will change the lives of everyone you come in contact with. Why? Because Jesus can work through a humble, submitted heart. The demoniac asked the right question in the right posture. And the answer, salvation, freedom, restoration, healing, wholeness, sanity, abundant life. 1 Peter 5, 6, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, sums up the story of the demoniac. He was a man who humbled himself so that God could lift him up. That is also the story of the cross if you have ears to hear it. Jesus humbled himself to serve his father's will on the cross. And in due time, God exalted him above every name. The cross, as we will soon learn, was the greatest act of worship in history. That is the example of worship that we are left to emulate. 
The greatest worshipers in the Bible were all people who were willing to humble themselves before God, to submit his, to his way instead of their, their way. You ask, what is worship? Jesus defined it in the Garden of Gethsemane as he faced his impending death. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. That is worship. As his ministry shrank and all of his disciples began to follow Jesus instead, John defined it by saying, he must increase, but I must decrease. That is worship. Mary defined it when God's plan for her life meant she would face utter rejection from her community saying, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. That's worship. Worship is a posture of our hearts that informs every action of our lives. Worship is an attitude of love and submission that demands action. Why did the Old Testament saints worship by bowing down? They had a bowing attitude in their hearts that informed the bowing posture of their bodies. That's true humility, and that is worship. For confirmation in both the Old Testament and New Testaments, check this out. Now do not be stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourself to the Lord and enter his sanctuary, which he has sanctified forever. And serve the Lord your God, that the fierceness of his wrath may turn away from you. Second Chronicles 38, Old Testament. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Acts 7.51, New Testament. God has dealt with people like us before. Ironically, it is the religious heart, the churched, who refused to heed his call. I still remember the night I was leading worship in a church sanctuary for maybe 15 young people. They were spread all over the sanctuary, some walking and worshiping, some dancing, some sitting, some kneeling. I had just instructed them to spread out, find a place where they could relax and express themselves to the Lord. As we were worshiping, a big, athletic, unchurched kid walked in the back of the building with a surprised look on his face. He got about halfway up the aisle, hit his knees, threw his hands up in the air, and then lay face down on the rug and worshiped God. For half an hour, that kid did not move. He had never been taught about worship. He didn't know anything about God or church or appropriate behavior. He just knew when he came in that sanctuary, that a sovereign king was in the room and he reacted accordingly. That kid got saved that night and he became a worshiper that very same night. story you just finished with there about the kid who came in that really really got to me because you know you, you don't you don't know what it means to to be in the presence of holiness until you have an encounter like that like that young man did 
talk about holiness and over and over again. We just can't express what it what it actually means, or what it what it actually is going to do. And and this is important to, talking about worship because this this band and what they do is is not the only point of worship. That's not the only time worship happens. Everything that you do should be an act of worship. Whether it's it's your response when you're reading the Bible, your prayer. Coming together, that, that corporate prayer, that is an act of worship. Giving is is an act of worship. It, it can be done at any time. We don't have to wait and take up an offering. So I'm going to set that over there. If you want to worship through offering, then it's at the altar. Take your offering to the altar. After listening to you read that, which is something I know you wanted to do on Friday. Uh, so if you haven't watched Life Up Here from Friday, go back and do that. Does, does everybody in here have a Facebook account? No? You got YouTube? You got YouTube? Do you have a YouTube account? Okay, there. You have no excuse then. Um. If you don't like Facebook, you can watch it on YouTube. Okay, um, I want to read something to you as we get started into the teaching for today. We're going to be talking a little bit about building. And this is going to kind of weave probably a different path than than maybe expected. And so um, I just want that to, uh, to be understood. And when I was sitting down to really uh, get into this and and start looking at what this was going to look like this morning. It's like building, dot, dot, dot. And that's like where I, I left that. And so, uh, because this kind of took some different directions, but I want to read something to you as we're getting started here. Pressures, demands, expectations, and tasks push in from all sides and assault our schedules. Do this. Be there. Finish that. Call them. It seems as though everyone wants something from us. Family, friends, employer, school, church, clubs. Soon, there is little left to give. As we run out of energy and time, we find ourselves rushing through life, attending to the necessary, the immediate, and the urgent. The significant is all too often left in the dust. Our problem is not the volume of demands or lack of scheduling skills, but values. What is truly significant to us. And and I'm going to continue reading in a minute, but I want to make a distinction here between the word important and the word significant. There are important things. There are urgent things that we have to, to attend to or get done. However, those things are not always uh, uh, containing propellant, something that is going to move you forward. 
significant things contain a propellant that move you forward. And so that's something I always want you to think about. So when you start thinking about what's important right now, think about what's significant. What is going to continue to push you forward? Our values and priorities are reflected in how we use our resources, time, money, strength, and talent. Often our actions belie our words. We say God is number one, but then we relegate him to a lesser number on our to-do list. Centuries ago, a voice was heard calling men and women to right priorities. Haggai knew what was significant and what had to be done, and he challenged God's people to respond. In 586 BC, the armies of Babylon had destroyed the temple in Jerusalem, God's house, the symbol of his presence. And in 538 BC, King Cyrus decreed that Jews could return to their beloved city and rebuild the temple. So they traveled to Jerusalem and began to work began to work. But then they forgot their purpose and lost their priorities as opposition and apathy brought the work to a standstill. And if you want to read more about that, you can in Ezra 4. Haggai spoke, calling them back to God's values. It is time for you yourselves to dwell. Excuse me. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies desolate. The people were more concerned with their own needs than with what, than with doing God's will. And as a result, they suffered. Uh, Then Haggai called them to action. And, And it says, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways, go up the mountains, bring wood and rebuild the temple that I may be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. And God's message through his servant Haggai, became the catalyst for finishing the work. And I'm going to read uh, the, the first chapter of Haggai right now and because I want to get more into that. Uh, and I read a couple of verses out of there, but we're going to read the whole thing. So if you want to, you, does everybody bring their Bibles today? Yeah. Oh, you brought that one. You did. Is that your passion translation? You're not going to have it then. Haggai, H-A-G-G-A-I. <laughs> I can feel the question. I'm going to give you a minute to look that up. Haggai 1. I am reading from the New American Standard, 1995 edition. You do now because there's a 2020 out. Yes. All right. We ready? We all there? We're getting there? Okay. It's right after Zephaniah. Right before Zechariah. It's in between the Z's. All right. Here we go. In the second year of Darius the king, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came by the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, the son of Shittil, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, and I don't know if that's right, but I was going to just, you say it confidently, it sounds right. Verse 2, thus says the Lord of hosts, this people says, the time has not come, even the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. 
Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies desolate? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much, but harvest little. You eat, but there is not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there is not enough to become drunk. You put on clothing, but, but no one is warm enough. And he who earns, earns wages to put into a purse with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. When you're thinking about the zeal for the house of the Lord, they had zeal for their own cares, for their own needs, for what it is that they were concerned with. Not concerned with what it was that God had sent them to do. And because of that, because they weren't considering God's ways, they, they would harvest but have nothing to eat. They would still be hungry. They would put on clothing, but they couldn't be warm enough. They, they would put their the money they earned into something and it would just fall out. It was just, it, it would have holes and just be empty afterwards. He goes on in verse eight and says, go up to the mountains, bring wood and rebuild the temple that I may be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. You look for much, but behold, it comes to little. When you bring it home, I blow it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house, which lies desolate, while each of you runs to his own house. Therefore, because of you, the sky has withheld its dew and the earth has withheld its produce. I called for a drought on the land, on the mountains, on the grain, on the new wine, on the oil, on what the ground produces, on men, on cattle, and on all the labor of your hands. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shatil, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord, their God, in the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord, their God, had sent him. Sent him. And the people showed reverence for the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke by the commission of the Lord to the people, saying, I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehoshaphat, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of Darius the king. All of those things he held back because they, they refused to, to work on his house. They were too concerned with their own house and they were too concerned with what it was that they had going on. There was, a, there was all of those things withheld. And if, if you look at our current culture, you're going to see the same thing. You're going to see these things withheld because we aren't concerned with the house of the Lord. We're just far too concerned with our own, our own things. And in, in considering what to talk about this morning, I was really thinking about what are we building? What are we building now? If, if it's talking about in here, 
that they were concerned with building their own houses. What is it that we are concerned with building that isn't God's house? This is something that we're going to have to like really consider. What is it that we're building? I really, in looking at, at that question in my own life, I'm just, I get baffled sometimes. Like, what am, what am I focusing on? Because that, that might be an easier way for us to understand what it is that we're building. What are you focused on? What is it you're putting passion and energy into? Are you putting passion and energy into building relationship with Jesus? Or are you putting passion and energy into video games or TV or something else that's taking you away from, from Jesus, from getting into scripture and seeing what is revealed by Holy Spirit through that. Because if you start to do that and you start to figure out focus and, and directing that on the narrow road towards Jesus, you're going to start to see that, oh, I'm starting to see what it means to build God's house. I'm starting to see what that means. I'm starting to be opened up to new opportunities. And new things are coming. We talked about this er earlier, but we're not building individually here on Sunday mornings. That isn't what this time is about. You hear a lot of different voices up here. We jump around, we hand the mic to other people. Because at any moment, the hot hand of what it is that Holy Spirit wants to say could shift around the room. But you have to be willing to release what it is that he's, he's giving you. Like Angie talked about with speaking in tongues, it's starting down here and it's starting to come up. But you have to partner with that and speak the words and release it. We're building the body. We're building the ecclesia, the bride, right? The kingdom. Oneness. This is, this is one of those things when we think about building up the bride, we have to remember that's oneness. We're talking about oneness here, closer than family, being one body. So again, I, I can't stress, go back to Angie's teaching from Friday and listen to that. It, it's... It's something that, that if you have listened to it, you should probably listen to it again because you're going to catch some things in there. So then how are we building? So if, if we know what we're building and we, we see the things that are distracting us and we start to focus in, not, and let me back up here for a second. When you figure out what it is that's distracting you from building God's house, then it's not a focus then to try to, to stop looking at whatever it is that's distracting you because that just emphasizes it. This is a point where we start to focus in on Jesus right? and that narrow road. That's, that's, what, that's what the focus is. So then how are we building? I want to read... Uh, a little bit from the word for 2023. It says, I'm raising up a misfit militia. Each will be trained by my hand in ongoing intimacy. 
Continue to govern the fire. Continue to steward well each flame. I know you grow tired and even weary, but you must keep pushing. Simply meeting members of intimacy will be seen soaring through. I, I hope you're catching that because what we've been talking about this morning, about what happens individually with you throughout the week, the conversations that you have with people, the things that Holy Spirit reveals to you, that's what we're bringing here on Sunday morning. This, everybody know what a militia is, right? Everybody understand the concept of a militia? Okay, it is a group of people that come together who are not necessarily formally trained in combat, but they are going to come together and they are going to fight. This is a militia. They aren't necessarily all equipped the same because typically what's happening is each individual is bringing their own equipment with them. But they're all coming together for a common purpose to fight alongside one another. And so when you, when you think about that, you can think about what it looks like for us on Sunday mornings to just be in here and, and passing the mic around and sharing what it is that God's given us. And whether you think it is some big grandiose word or you think very little of it, it matters. It is going to matter because God has not given you something that is going to return to him void. So when you release it, there is going to be a connection somewhere. You may not see it in the room, but maybe somebody out there online is going to catch hold of what it is that you're sharing. You can't allow fear to keep you from continuing to govern the fire to steward each little flame well. One of the things that we're thinking about as leadership here is, is continuing to steward well each one of you as a flame. But at the same time, those revelations that Holy Spirit gives you is a flame in itself. You have to be thinking about that and, and understanding that when I release that, there is power that goes out with it. So there's something else that, that God is building right now. And, and Angie prophesied about this. I think it was the first time was on Invictus about the uh, uh, Special Forces Army. Uh, and and that, that's something that God is putting together right now. Special Forces Army, I think is how you worded it. So what does that mean? So we talked about what a a militia looks like, and even a misfit militia, right? Those people who aren't necessarily looked at on society well because they're misfits, right? You don't necessarily fit a mold. When, when you're talking about a special forces army, this is a, a specialized training for you because the special operations command, they put together teams that have specific missions. There's a very narrow focus in what it is they do. And one of the other things that Angie talked about Friday, especially, was a double mantling. Okay. In both. Uh, and 
the specialized training, there, there is a double mantling. And, and what that looks like in, in a, a practical sense that you can understand is it's cross-training. You have gifts that, that you've been given, that you carry. And those gifts are what you specialize in. But when we come together and we're able to share with one another what it is that God's given us, we get a cross-training. We get a double mantling. We get to be able to take other people's gifts and operate in those. Because there is, there is a oneness there. And so that, that's what we're talking about when we talk about Special Forces Army here. This is, uh, this is moving out of the realm of the misfit militia. This is where you are coming, trained, and equipped. And your focus is very specific. And so what you got to understand is there's a lot of different things that go on. And a lot of different ways that we can operate. And so you have to really focus in on what it is that you've been given. And allow Holy Spirit to break that open for you. Allow him to tell you how that works and how it operates. One of the things that a lot of people misunderstand uh, about the U.S. Army and the Special Operations Command is the Special Forces Units. A lot of them look at the, these guys and they don't understand what their role and function is. Their function is to go out into a foreign country and fight an insurgency. To train up an army that is going to fight an insurgency and overthrow a government. That's what they do. We've got a, a, a wrong idea of, of their mission over the last 20 years just by the nature of what we've been doing. But that's what their job is. It's to go out and build up a force to overthrow a government. It's not direct action. It's not like what you see in, you know, in movies. When you look at Navy SEALs and they're running in, they're kicking in doors. That's their job. It's different. That is a, a, a different mission set. And, and we can come together and cross-train them. Okay. So anyways, that, that's just a little idea of what it looks like in the natural so we can start to apply what this looks like when God's saying, I'm building a special forces army. What that means is that we each have our own role. We each have our own responsibilities. But we don't have to shoulder it alone. So with that, with that building of the Special Forces Army, you're getting specialized training that puts you in a position to be the subject matter expert for us here. For anywhere you go, anytime you start to have these conversations, you're the subject matter expert. And you get to share that. And you get to be cross-trained for other roles, understanding the responsibilities. So there is no one single point of failure in this body here. So think about your gift for a minute. How have you been using it? How has that gift been sharpened in you over the last week or last month? How are you using that gift to sharpen those around you? These are important questions you got to answer for yourself. Because there's an expectation when you walk in here that you're ready to use your gift to sharpen the rest of us. 
Angie said it earlier, we are missing out. Well, you miss out throughout the week. But how are you using that gift to build the house of God? I think that's an important question too. How are you using your gifts to build the house of God? You need to know what it is in your hands when you are building. I'm going to read Nehemiah. We're going to read. We're going to read nine through uh, Nehemiah four nine through eighteen. It says, uh, and and to back up here real quick, what you got to understand is is in Nehemiah they're starting to rebuild the wall. This is when they were sent back to rebuild, and they're starting to rebuild the wall, and there's opposition that's coming up against them trying to, to discourage them and get them to stop what it is they're doing. One of the people coming up against them and, and trying to discourage them says that a, a fox could jump on what they're building and it would break down. Nehemiah 4. And we're going to start reading in verse 9. But we prayed to our God, And because of them, we set up a guard against them day and night. This opposition, that's what he's talking about, the the opposition that's coming up against them. Thus in Judah it was said, the strength of the burden bearers is failing, yet there is much rubbish, and we ourselves are unable to rebuild the wall. Our enemies said, they will not know or see until we come amongst them, kill them, and put a stop to the work. When the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times, they will come up against us from every place where you may turn. Then I stationed men in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, the exposed places, and I stationed the people in families with their swords, spears, and bows. When I saw their fear, I rose up and spoke to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Don't be afraid of the opposition that's coming against you. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for one another. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, then all of us returned to the, to the wall, each one to his work. From that day on, half of my servants carried on the work, while half of them held the spears, the shields, the bows, and the breastplates. And the captains were behind the whole house of Judah. Those who were rebuilding the wall and those who carried burdens took their load with one hand, doing the work, and the other holding a weapon. As for the builders, each wore his sword girded at his side as he built, while the trumpeters stood near me. Those who were rebuilding the wall and those who carried burdens, who were carrying the material up, carried with one hand what it is that that was being built with, and in the other carried their weapon. You need to know what is in your hands when you're building? It matters. And the builders, 
they had their swords at their side, ready to transition into battle at a moment's notice. So you need to know also what material you're building with. What you choose to build with also matters. Knowing what's in your hand and knowing what it is you're building with. Are you choosing to build with holiness? Not just in the, in the manner with which you're building, but building with holiness as a substance. The thing that you're actually laying down and using as a material is that holiness. And, and there, there's a few things I want to talk about here in, in regards to how we're building. But one of the first things that we need to start with here is repentance. We, we have to start here because if we've had wrong focus, if we haven't been operating in holiness, if we haven't been using that as a substance with which we're building, it's just a simple repentance, right? We've talked about this numerous times before. Turn back to God. God, I'm sorry. And you're coming back. That's it. It's, it really is that simple because there, there's an acceptance there immediately. There's grace on it to be able to turn and come back right now. I found a quote by Bill Johnson. It says, most Christians repent enough to get forgiven, but not enough to see the kingdom. Most Christians repent enough to get forgiven, but not enough to see the kingdom. What does that mean? What does that mean to to repent enough to be forgiven, but not enough to see the kingdom? means you repent and then you sit on your butt and you don't do anything. There's no action behind what it is that God's calling you into. There's no partnership. Partnership requires something of us, right? Yes? Yeah. I don't want you all getting sleepy on me. Do we need to stand up? Do push-ups or something? No? Okay, we're good. Most Christians repent enough to get forgiven, but not enough to see the kingdom. Are you repenting and sitting on your butt and saying, that's good enough? Or are you repenting and then seeing the action that needs to be taken? Seeing what it is that needs to be built, how it is that you need to build. Is it pushing you into uh, uh, the holiness that we should be seeking? Because that's what's going to follow. That should be what follows your repentance is holiness. And if it's not landing on you right now, or if you aren't falling on it, it's going to fall on you. And it's going to get even more uncomfortable than standing around looking at each other this morning when when we should be praying. When we're too focused on, oh my goodness, everybody can see me right now. They're looking at me. I'm supposed to be praying. All I'm doing is sweating standing here. Instead of stepping into holiness and saying, Holy Spirit, what, is, what are the words you want me to release right now? If the word is just the name of Jesus, then do that. Follow through with it. Let your passion go. Let it come out of you. Let us see it. When you were reading a little while ago about bowing down and getting lower. 
that was that was what I was thinking about when I'm thinking about obedience. Because that's what comes next. Right? We repent. Holiness falls. And now there's an obedience to the call that God's giving you. The actions that he's calling you into. You're going to partner with and you're going to take action and be obedient. And you're going to do it immediately. It's as simple as hearing the words, letting them go. Him showing you taking a step and you taking a step. If he says to bow down, we bow down. Obedience has to follow. We, we get, obedience gets such a bad rep in our country because of our unwillingness to bow. We think being obedient looks like control and manipulation, and that is not what we're talking about here. That is not what this is. This is not what obedience to God is about. He wouldn't have given you dominion if he wanted to control you. That just wouldn't be a thing. He's looking for partnership. But there is an obedient aspect because he is God. He is our creator. He is the king. And on the backside of obedience, there's going to be a discipline that is required of us. This is not a discipline where you are being disciplined. This is a discipline to say, I am going to get out of bed. I'm going to fall on my face regardless of how uncomfortable I am, how tired I am, and I'm going to focus on what it is that Jesus is saying to me right now and what it is that he's showing me. There's a discipline required there. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. I'm sore. It's uncomfortable to lay face down on the, on the floor, on the hardwood. And here we've made it easy. We've got nice cushiony mats up here for you at the altar. There's a discipline that's required to say, I, I, you know, in, in the morning, it's difficult because there, there's going to be times where you're tired and you're not going to want to do it. But there's a discipline that is required it's going to say, get into the into scripture and read. And then once you get done reading, taking the time to write down your own thoughts, what you hear Holy Spirit telling you. There's discipline that's required. In the little things that he shows you to do. You've heard the story of Angie's journey about, hey, learning to hear the voice of God. Go pick up that stick and being obedient and disciplined enough to follow through with that and go do it. There is a discipline that is required. It's not always easy. It has to be cultivated, though. The wonderful part about this discipline is, though, you're not alone. As a body, we all get to be a part of that. If you're struggling reach out, say something. Don't think that reaching out is weakness or you'll be shown condemnation or be have guilt or shame heaped upon you because that's not it. That's not what it's about. It's a discipline that's going to carry you through when things are difficult, when you aren't feeling the goosebumps, when you're not feeling like 
God is close or near. Knowing that he is and being disciplined enough to continue on. I want to read 1 Peter 2.5 to you, quick. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I want you to think about that for a minute. Take the time to let that sink in. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You are alive, a new creature. And you can read that in 2 Corinthians 5. You are a new creature, something that has never before been seen on the earth before the sacrifice of Jesus, before the resurrection. That's what you came out as, as a new creature. You are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Worship. One of the things we've been trying to get through to everybody is worship. You are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Is that happening in your life today? Moreover, is that happening in the body of Christ? That's a tough question to answer. Not that the answer is hard to come up with, but the answer is difficult to look at. Is that happening in the body of Christ? On any given day of the week, not just Sunday, but any given day of the week, is that happening in the body of Christ? I don't even want to give an answer. Psalm 22, 3 says, Yet you are holy, O you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. God is holy. He's enthroned upon our praises. Are we giving up praises daily for him to be enthroned upon? All of these things come back and are intertwined. That's why I said at the beginning when I was talking about this, and it was building, dot, dot, dot. There is so much that God is building right now. And we have to understand where it's starting at. And worship is that place. I'm going to read First Peter 1, 10 through 16. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in these things, which now have been announced to you through 
those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you in the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. You shall be holy because God is holy. I am. The I am is holy. What are you building with? What tools and weapons are in your hands? What's there? One of the things that God told me last week was it's time to move from research and development into production. We've talked about this being a place of research and development and that that would be taken outside from here. But it's time to shift from that. It's time for us to make a shift into action. And we have to, in that change where we are setting our minds. Mindset is significant here because while R&D isn't necessarily passive, it is done in a lab. The testing for research and development is done in a lab where it is a controlled environment. Taking that research out into the world, it's going to require faith. So it's time to step into that faith. It's time to take action. Matthew 18, 20 says, For where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. This is a simple concept to be able to take out that when two or three of you are together and you're just having conversation, he's in your midst because your conversations, if you're leaning into holiness, your conversations are going to be holy. The book of Haggai is filled with challenge and promises and reminds us of God's claim on our lives and on our priorities as well. He holds claim to our lives and our priorities. And so as you read Haggai this week, yes, there is an expectation that you will read it this week. There's what, two chapters there? Two chapters. It's going gonna, it's gonna to take no time at all, but you can read it multiple times. That's, a, that's the expectation. As you read Haggai this week, imagine Haggai as he's walking through Jerusalem, walking down the streets, walking through the alleys, and seeing what people are doing, seeing where their priorities are at on their own individual houses, on their own individual lives, rather than on God's house. And picture him as he's urging the people to get back to doing God's work. Listen to him speaking to you as he's urging you to reorder your priorities and to do so in accordance with God's will. What has God told you to do? 
right? Put all else aside and obey him. So how are you going to build God's house this week? And will you show reverence for the Lord? Father, we thank you for, for reminding us to consider our ways. Thank you for the gift of repentance. I thank you for your holiness that you have applied to us, that we have access to walking, to living, to build with. I'm grateful for the opportunity to be obedient. To be able to bow down and worship you. I'm thankful for that, that your boldness is hosting us. And in that boldness, we can, we can apply discipline on we can be disciplined. I thank you that when, when we come together, just in even the smallest of groups, two or three, that you are there. And that we can move in power in that time. I thank you that each of these people are going to show up ready to sharpen one another. I thank you for what it is that you're requiring of us right now, man. As difficult as it may be, I am grateful for the requirement of holiness, of obedience. Grateful for the expectation to come together and sharpen one another. I thank you for your blessing and favor upon us this week. Lord, continually call us into opportunity to encounter you. In each moment that we have, there are plenty of moments that we have each and every day to, to come and run and sit at your feet. The crowned glory of sitting at your feet. Lord, fill us with courage to share our passion and zeal in your house. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you all.